Chapter Thirty of The Shadow of a Sin by Bertha M. Clay. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Thirty. February came in mild and clear, with a pleasant foretaste of spring. In the woods, the early violets were peeping out, and the snowdrops were bowing their white heads. The buds were beginning to form on the hedges and trees. There was a faint song from the birds, and silence reigned in the woods, as though the goddess of spring were hovering over them. It was Valentine's Day. In after years, Hyacinth remembered every incident of it. Clara had complained of not feeling well, and they had gone out into the woods, the governess and child. They sat down near a brook on some moss-covered stones. The child was unconsciously a poet in her way. "'Miss Holte,' she said suddenly, "'do you never pity the flowers for being obligated to hide so long in the dark cold earth?' how they must be longing for sunshine and for spring it is just as though they were in prison and the sun is the good fairy that lets them out hyacinth made a point of never checking the child's thoughts she always allowed her to tell them freely as they came i think so much about the flowers continued the little one it seems to me that in some distant way they are related to the stars i wonder if they live as we do if some are proud of their colour and some of their fragrance if they love and hate each other if some are jealous and others contented i should like to know the world is full of secrets returned hyacinth musingly i cannot tell but if flowers could have souls i can imagine the kind of soul that would belong to each flower so can i cried the child joyously why is the world full of secrets miss holte men are so clever why can they not find all the secrets out ah my darling sighed the young girl the skill of man does not go very far it has mastered none of the great problems of life they walked down to the shore and watched the waves rolling in great sheets of white foam spread over the sand the chant of the sea seemed on that day louder and more full of mystery than ever the south breeze has blown away all my headache said the child shall we go home miss holte mildred says it is valentine's day i wonder if it will bring anything pleasant to us i wonder if it is a day we shall remember the young governess smiled sadly one day is very much like another she said little dreaming that this was to be one of the most eventful of her life my lady wishes to see you miss holt said the footman to hyacinth as she entered the room she's in her own room the young girl went thither at once i want to speak to you miss holt she said as i have already mentioned i always like sensible straightforward dealings my son sir aubrey dartell comes home to-morrow and brings some visitors with him my lady was seated at her writing-table the room was shaded by rose-coloured curtains half-drawn, and the young governess fortunately did not stand where her face could be seen. I have told you before that when we have visitors at the Abbey, I shall wish you and Miss Clare to keep to your own apartments. She is far too young and too delicate to be brought forward in any way. I will be careful to comply with your wishes, Lady Dartell, replied Hyacinth. I am sure you will. I have always found you careful, Miss Holt. I wish Clara to take her morning walk before the day's study begins, and, as we do not breakfast until nearly ten, that will be more convenient. 
If she requires to go out again, half an hour while we are at luncheon will suffice. I do not know, continued the lady. I'm almost afraid that I shall have to ask you to give up your room for a short time. If it should be so, you can have the one next to Miss Clara. Lord Shandon, Major Elton, and Sir Richard Hastings bring so many servants with them. Fortunately, she did not see the ghastly change that came over that beautiful face as she uttered the name of Lord Shandon. It was as though someone had struck the girl a mortal blow. Her lips opened as though she would cry out, but all sound died on them. A look of fear and dread, almost of horror, came into the violet eyes. If I see any necessity for the change, said her ladyship, I will tell King to attend to it. No words came from those white, rigid lips. Lady Dartell never turned her head, but concluded blandly. That was what I wanted to speak to you about, Miss Holt. She evidently expected the young girl to go, but all strength had departed from the delicate frame. Hyacinth was as incapable of movement as she was of speech. At last, in a voice which Lady Dartell scarcely recognised, it was so harsh and hoarse, Hyacinth said, I did not hear plainly. What name did you mention, Lady Dartell? My lady was too much taken by surprise to reflect whether it was compromising her dignity to reply. A rush of hope had restored the girl's strength. She said to herself that she could not have heard right. Lord Shandon, Major Elton, and Sir Richard Hastings, said Lady Dartell stiffly. Great heavens, groaned the girl to herself. What shall I do? Did you speak, Miss Holt? inquired the lady. No, replied Hyacinth, stretching out her hand as though she were blinded. Then Lady Dartell took up her pen and began to write. This was a signal of dismissal. Presently a sudden idea occurred to her. I had almost forgotten to say that I should wish the rules I mentioned to be conformed to today. It is possible my son may arrive this evening or tomorrow morning. Good morning, Miss Holt. One, meeting Hyacinth, would have thought she had been struck with sudden blindness. She stumbled as she walked. With one hand outstretched, she touched the wall as she went along. It seemed to her that hours elapsed before she reached her own room, but she found herself there at last, blind, dizzy, bewildered, unable to collect her thoughts, unable to cry out. Though her silence seemed to torture her, she fell on her knees with a dull moan, and stretched out her hands, as though asking help from heaven. How long she knelt there she never knew. Wave after wave of anguish rolled over her soul. Pain after pain, each bitter and keen as death, pierced her heart. Then the great wave seemed to roll back, and one thought stood clearly before her. He from whom she had fled in sorrowful dismay, he whom she loved more dearly than her own life, he whose contempt and just disdain she had incurred, was coming to Hume Abbey. She said the words over and over again to herself. Adrian is coming. Heaven help and pity me. Adrian is coming. Great drops stood on her white brow. Her whole body trembled, as a leaf trembles in the wind. A wild idea of escape came to her. She could run away. There was time enough. Ah, now, they were coming perhaps tonight, and if Adrian heard that someone had run away from the house, he would suspect who it was. She wrung her hands like one helpless and hopeless. What shall I do? she cried. Dear heaven, have pity on me for I have suffered enough. What shall I do? Another hope came to her. Perhaps, after all, her fears were groundless. Lady Dartell had said Lord Shandon. It must be the old lord. She had never heard or read of his death. Adrian was to be Lord Shandon some day, but that day might be far distant yet. She would try to be patient and see. She would try to control her quivering nerves. 
if it were indeed adrian then she must be careful all hope of escape was quite useless she must keep entirely to her room until he was gone she tried to quiet the trembling nerves but the shock had been too great for her her face was ghastly in its pallor and fear clara looked at her in dismay i do not feel well she said in a trembling voice you shall draw instead of read she would have given anything to escape the ordeal of reading to the young ladies but it must be gone through they made no allowances for headaches she found them as little disposed to receive as she was to give a lesson sit down miss holtz said veronica we will not attend to our french just now it's such nonsense of mamma to insist upon it would you mind threading these beads i want to make a purse she placed a quantity of small gold and silver beads in the young girl's hands and then eagerly resumed her conversation with her sister i am the elder she argued the first chance and the best chance ought to be mine i have my heart set on winning lord chandon and i shall think it very unkind of you to interfere you do not know whether he will be willing to be won said mildred sneeringly i can but try i could not do more i should like to be lady chandon mildred of course i shall not be unsisterly if i see he refers you i shall do all in my power to help you but if he shows no decided preference it would not be fair for you to interfere with me he may not like either of us said mildred who enjoyed nothing so much as irritating her sister i have an idea that he is to be won i feel almost certain of it sir richard hastings would be a good match too he is very wealthy and handsome and so for that matter is major elton what has that to do with it asked mildred you have such confused ideas veronica what was that story mamma was telling you about lord chandon some doleful romance i did not listen attentively i think she said he was engaged before his uncle's death to marry some girl who he was much attached to but she ran away she did something or other horrible and then fled i think that was it and does he wear the willow for her still asked mildred i should say he has more sense when girls do anything horrible they ought to die men never mourn long you know but what did the girl do pursued mildred did she deceive him and marry someone else or what i did not feel interested enough to listen replied veronica mamma seemed to imply everything most terrible you must consult her if you want to know the particulars aubrey says that a man's heart is often caught at a rebound and he seems to think that if we are kind and sympathizing to lord chandon smoothing his ruffled plumes you know one of us cannot fail to win him how long will our visitors remain asked mildred a month and much may be done in a month you know what is that well might she ask first the gold and silver beads fell upon the floor and then the unhappy girl who held them white and senseless fell from the seat and lay like a crushed and broken lily on the ground ring the bell said veronica she has fainted i suppose how tiresome i wonder how that governess has such a propensity to faint she looks like a beautiful statue but if she takes to this kind of thing mamma will not find her so very useful after all here king to the servant who entered miss holt has fainted tend to her and the two sisters swept from the room with the air of two very superior beings indeed they never dreamed of helping the unconscious girl such condescension would have been far too great 
Mary King and a fellow servant carried Hyacinth to her room and laid her on her bed. Kindly hands ministered to her. She was respected and beloved by the servants, who, quick to judge, pronounced her a real lady, much more of a lady than the Mrs. Dartell. So now in her distress they ministered unto her. If I might but die, she said with a great tearless sob, if I might but die, that she be looked upon as so utterly lost, as having done something so terrible, seemed worse to her than all. I did right to leave them, she said, and now I shall never look upon them again. I did right to hide myself from the faces of all who knew me. Adrian despises me. I cannot bear it. Her face burned, and her heart beat wildly as she thought of Veronica's insulting words and sneering tones. What she had done was too terrible even for Lady Dartell to speak of. How rightly she had judged that her proper position was past forever. How rightly she had decided that her own deed had banished her forever from those whom she loved best. Lady Dartell, with unusual consideration, had sent word that Miss Holt was not to rise. So Hyacinth lay through the day, in a stupor of fear and dread, one longing in her heart, one prayer on her lips, and that was to die. She lay trying to form feeble plans of escape, and breaking down every now and then with a terrible cry. Dr. Chalmers had told her if she wanted a friend to send for him, but if he came now, exposure must follow she was hopeless helpless bewildered then she began to think how heavily she had been punished for her sin some girls ran away from their home were married and lived happily why had so cruel a fate befallen her she lay until evening her brain burning her head aching her whole body one throb of pain a new fear came to her what if that terrible fever came back robbing her of her senses and reason they would find out then that she was here in some kind of disguise. It was night when she heard the sound of carriage wheels. This was followed by a noise, as of many arrivals. Her heart gave one great bound, and then seemed to stand still. She did not know how time passed, until Mary King entered with a basin of soup. They are all gone to dinner, miss, she said. And Cook has sent you this. Have the visitors arrived? she asked. Yes, miss, there seems to be quite a crowd of them. Try to take this. It will do you good. She tried, but failed. Adrian was there under the same roof, and the wonder was that her sorrow did not kill her. End of chapter 30